We're in a series entitled Table Talk. Table Talk. How many of you enjoyed Bishop last Sunday? I heard he was just incredible last week. Uh, I, my phone has been blowing up almost too much. Almost to the point of, I'm afraid you might like him better than me, and that can't happen. I'm just kidding. Um, man, such a great uh, time. I was able to be in Sugarland, had a wonderful time uh, uh, with our congregation there. And it's in fact, if you know anyone that lives in Southwest Houston, in the Southwest Houston area, and they're looking for a great church, look us up, tell them about Triumph. We've got a great church there, and we've got a place for them. But had a wonderful time. And uh, so Bishop talked about different characters at the table. The week before that, we talked about enemies at our table, how God prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. We thought our enemies were there by accident, and God is saying, no, I invited them to the table because I want to do something in your life. And uh, so if you, if you missed either one of those messages, I want you to make sure that you get on our Triumph app or download on our podcast and make sure you watch or listen to those and get them in your spirit. Today, though, uh, I, I want to share with you a, a verse of scripture. And my goal is to tell you a little bit about uh, who I am, who Lindsay and I are as pastors and as leaders, and, and more than that, just as Christians. I'm going to share a few stories with you and try to give you a, a bit, maybe a more in-depth look into what makes us tick than, than possibly some of you have heard from me before. So uh, if you would, grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 14, Luke chapter 14. When I was a kid growing up, my mother loved, I, I don't know if you know this about my mom, Pastor Renee, she loves parties. Any excuse for a party, she loves it. My daughter turned 13, or is turning 13, so we had a birthday party for her on Friday night. It was an explosion of decorations and props, and I'm like, what is going on right now? When I turned 13, I went out in the backyard at my grandparents' house, played football with no shirt and no shoes on, and broke my collarbone. That was my 13th birthday. No, we're having a full-on professional pictures and the whole deal. I'm like, what just happened? My mom loves parties. When I remember as a kid, when, 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 when company would be coming over to have dinner, she would gather us all around. and Man, first off, she would spend like days preparing. And everything had to be perfect, and the house had to be clean, and it had to be decorated just right. And we had to fix things that I didn't even know were broken because, you know, everyone could see that hidden thing that was broken. So we had to go, I mean, we had to do it all. And then she'd bring us in, and she would say things to us like, she'd line me and Kara. Of course, Hannah was a baby at the time, and, and she would say, you are going to be on your best behavior today. You will not act like a fool and embarrass me. Mom, do you ever had this conversation with your kids? Company is coming to town. You will be your best version of yourself. If you don't know how to, just fake it. I was forced, and, and again, you know, I grew up in the country, all right? So, and I was, I was raised much differently than we raise kids today. I don't know if you know that. I was raised where you went, you left in the morning and you didn't come back till after dark. And so when we would have a dinner party, I was forced to put shoes and a shirt on. I didn't want to wear shoes and a shirt. It's just, that just gets in the way. Mom would say, we will have, how do I say this? 
No extracurricular sounds at the table today. You will bathe. You will fix your hair. You will not wear a hat. You will fix your hair. Why? Because company's coming over. She would cook and she would make everything just perfect. Everything had to be right. Even today when Lindsay and I have guests over, it's the same thing. Everything's got to be perfect. Lindsay got just all day working around, buzzing around the house, cleaning this, cleaning that, cooking this, cooking that, going everywhere, trying to get everything just right. Everything she have me, she will have me a list of things to do, and it isn't about if I get them done or not. It's about how quickly I get them done. They need to be done three days in advance, not day of. I'm like, it's going to take me five minutes. No, I want them done now. And she buzzes around, get the kids. Everything's got to be right. And then you know what else she does? She'll call whoever's coming over and she'll say, what kind of food do you like? What can we cook you? And so we'll be cooking. That kind of, oh, your kids only eat macaroni and cheese? No problem. We can cook macaroni and cheese with the best of them. Kraft macaroni and cheese, you got it. Actually, no. Depending on how much we like you, we're going for the Velveeta. Liquid gold, you know. You haven't seen that commercial? Liquid gold. I love it. So we're, we're going upscale. We will lay it down. Whatever you like. We want to cook something that we know you'll eat. Something that we know you'll enjoy. Then people come over. And I don't just talk about anything I want to talk about. I talk about things that will engage with them on where they are. Talk about ways and how I can connect with you as a person. And, and, and that's what we do when we have dinner parties. It's, it's about connecting. It's about making them feel welcome. It's about putting our best foot forward. The story I'm about to read with you, two things happened. There's actually two dinner parties. One is the actual party that Jesus is invited to. And the second one is a dinner party that he starts telling about in the form of a parable. We're going to try to cover them both today. If you have your Bibles, uh, if you have your paperback Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 14. If you have your iPhone, you can just click on the Bible or our app and you can, uh, you can read off your Bible. How many of you are reading off your app? All right. If you have a Samsung, just read off the screen. You'll be fine. Verse 1. I'm feeling good today. Verse 1. One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. Now, here's what I love about this. Jesus is not going to eat at Peter's home. He's not going to eat at James's or John's. He is not even at Mary or Martha and Lazarus' house. No, he went to the home of the Pharisees. Here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus was not afraid to go to the very people who would one day kill him. Jesus went to the home of the leader of the Pharisees who were plotting to kill him and eventually hung him on a cross. Because Jesus understood the bigger picture. I'm here to reach them, but I can never reach them if I'm unwilling to go where they are. If I'm so busy putting my guard up because one day they're going to hang me on a cross, then I'll never be able to reach them. So he went to their home. and He sat down and he had dinner. Verse 2. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? This is a question that was often raised with Jesus in his ministry because healing was considered work. 
and you weren't allowed to do any sort of work on the Sabbath day or you would be breaking the laws uh, in, in, the, in the Talmud or the, the, the Jewish laws that they had written, 633 laws. They took them to a stream and they were saying, no, you can't heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus is saying this. Uh, so he says, when they refused to answer, he touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? And again, they could not answer. Here's the simple thing about Jesus. And I love this about him. Healing people was not work for Jesus. No, Jesus wasn't trying to break the laws. He wasn't trying to break the laws of a Sabbath. But for Jesus, he's sitting at the table and he says, you know, do any of you not work? Of course you do work. But even if you don't uh, do work on the Sabbath, here's the problem. Healing, you consider, consider it work. I don't. Jesus doesn't even get up. He just reaches over to the sick man. Had fluid all built up in his face, and, he was, and there was a specific name for the disease. And he just reached over, and he touched him, and he healed him. He just goes right back to eating. I don't know what he was eating. Probably bread, drinking wine, having a good time. And he just reaches over, he touches him, he heals him, and he goes right back. Because for Jesus, healing is not a problem. I don't know where you might be in your life today. I don't know if you're in a place where you need healing, or uh, maybe it's relationally, maybe it's physically, maybe it's emotionally, spiritually, whatever it might be. You've got to know this about Jesus. It isn't hard for him. All you just need is all you need is just a touch from the healer. Again, they could not answer. Skipping down to verse 12. Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then, at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. I love this. Jesus is talking, he's sitting at dinner, and he starts talking about when you have a dinner party, don't just invite people who can reward you. Don't just invite people who have something that they can give to you. It's not don't ever invite them. But he said, don't just invite your friends and your family and, and the rich neighbor down the street who may then turn and invite you over, who may then turn and do something for you. Because the problem is, if that's all you're inviting, the only reward you're going to receive is what those people can give you. For instance, think about your closest friends, whoever they may be. You like being around them. You like spending time with them because somehow being around them makes you feel good. It makes you feel relaxed. It makes you feel welcome. Uh, you can talk about anything. You can, you know, you can vent, whatever the case may be. Uh, but the point is that that is your reward. Now, that's not a problem, but here's what Jesus says. If all you're inviting to the table is people who can give you that reward, who can make you feel that way, who can maybe turn around and buy you dinner because you bought them dinner, he said the problem is you're cutting off the hand of God 
And what God wants to do is he wants to reward you. So if you'll invite the, the crippled and the lame and the blind and, and people that are in need, people that can't reward you personally, then you're making room for God to reward you. Now, I have a lot of people in my life that when I spend time around them, I personally am rewarded. But can I just tell you, I would much rather be rewarded by God than man. So invite people who have a need, people that can't re reward you in turn. And then he starts talking about what the Bible refers to as this great feast. And he says, here's the bottom line. A man prepared a feast. He prepared a table. He was getting ready to have a dinner party. So he, he prepares this elaborate meal, the best of everything, does all he can. And then he sends his servants out to invite people to come to dinner. Well, they first go to the friends, to the, to the people that they would expect to come, and they invite them all. And right off the bat, uh, three people say they can't come. They give excuses for why they can't come, why they can't make it. Well, then he starts saying, okay, forget it. Don't worry about them. You go into the highways and the byways. Have you heard that term before? That's an old King James phrase right there. Go into the highways and the byways, and you compel them. You do whatever it takes to bring in. Bring in people who have need. Bring in the sick, the lame, the crippled, and the blind. Bring them in and get them to the table. Now, let's put this parable into perspective in today's world. Now, understand that Jesus is the man inviting people to dinner. As you study Scripture from... from um, all the way from the Old Testament all the way through, you find time and time again that the table that God is speaking of is actually His church. And a table is, is, a, is a metaphor uh, of what the church is. It is a table. We come together and we eat. Every Sunday, you come in and we eat. What are we eating? When we come to the table of the Lord, what are we serving? Well, according to John chapter 6, verse 35, here's what Jesus said. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So here's what we get. The church is a table, and every time we come, what we are being served is the bread of life. You see it all the way to the Old Testament. You, you may remember when, uh, when they were giving the law of tithing, one of the, the illustrations that they gave, one of the things that they said was, when you brought your tithe, with it, which at that time was often grain or uh, a lamb or whatever your animal was, when you brought your physical thing, you didn't just bring it as a sacrifice, but then the Old Testament teaches that you get to partake in the tithe. You get to eat of the tithe. They came and they sat down at the temple and they enjoyed a massive feast. And the same thing happens here. Every Sunday morning, thanks to the tithing uh, and, the, and the faithfulness and the generosity, generosity of the people of God, we come down, we sit in very nice chairs, we have a wonderful air conditioner, you know, and it's starting to get hot outside. How many are grateful that we get to eat of the air conditioner? Hallelujah. We, we have a great children's ministry and great nurseries, and we have a, a fantastic facility. And we're able to do all types of things to help your family and other families. Why? Because when we bring our tithe into the house of God, not only does it bless the house of God, but we get to eat of it. 
So, so the, t- the table is the house of God. It is the church. But what we're serving is the bread of life. We're serving Jesus. We're serving him up. And we prepare it in different ways. And we call the sermon different things. And we talk about it in different ways. But at the end of the day, we're always serving the bread of life. What is my role? I'm the chef. That's what I do. I go and I prepare the food. And I think about who's coming. How they would like it cooked. And how they might could eat it and how they could, it could help them and bring nourishment to their bodies. And so that's what I do. I go in and I prepare the food and we lay it out on the table and the people come in and we eat of the bread of life. That's what happens every Sunday at Triumph Church. The problem though is, in Jesus' parable, he says, I went to my friends, I went to the people who were supposed to come to the party Let's just be real clear here. I went to the church people, the saved people, the people that are already supposed to be at the table. But they had three excuses for why they couldn't come. When I was growing up and going to college, I would start every semester as the best student there. I was a good student. I would study for tests. I was never late for class. I showed up. I did my best to stay awake. I did my best, Lord. That's all I can say. But I did. I I really tried to be a good student. Here's the problem: the moment I missed one class, I would miss like five, six, seven in a row. Anybody else that way? Like as long as you never missed, I was good to go. But as soon as I missed one. I'd go, I'd be at work. It's not like I was out doing something. I'd just go to work. Well, I love to work. I love, I love to come to, to church and work. And so i just go to work. Don't you have class today? Oh, uh, you know, it's, uh, um, yeah. Randy, you didn't say anything. Don't you have class today? Well, you know, it's, it's this and it's that and, you know. Randy, don't you have class? Well, you know, I do, but I'm going to do this instead. And I would, the next thing you know, I'd be Barely trying to figure out, oh my goodness, I, it, the, the worst thing in the world was when you show back up after missing five classes in a row and you have a test and you don't even know what the test is over. Church is much the same way. As long as you're in the habit of going, you never miss. But how many of you know, the moment you miss one, you just miss one Sunday for maybe a very good reason, but you miss one Sunday, the next Sunday it's like, sun, it's like church stuck up on you. It's like, is it Sunday already? You knew Sunday was coming. It comes every seventh day. It's, 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 it's all the time. And, and yet it sneaks up on us. And next thing you know, we haven't just missed one. We've missed two months. And then we look up in our lives and things aren't going well. And our marriage is, there's friction in our marriage and friction in our home. And we've lost our peace and we don't feel close to God. And, and we're going, God, where are you? And he's saying, I- I'm here at the table. I'm, I'm, I'm here at the table. Here's three, three excuses that they gave to Jesus. Let's see if they apply to anyone's life today. And I don't want to be condemning today, but I want to be an encouragement through the Word of God. Number one is this. The guy said, um, you know, I just bought this new field, and I have to go inspect it. And so I have to go to work today. First reason they gave was, i got to go to work. I'm just too busy. I have too many things going on. I've got to go do it. Now listen, I understand there are times when you have to work on Sunday. 
They just are. We live in a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week society. You're going to have to work on some Sundays. But we got to be careful that it doesn't become an excuse while we're missing church when we really could have done it the next day or in the afternoon or, or something else. Just too busy. Second guy said, well, I just got these new oxen, and I don't necessarily have to go try them out today. I'm just really excited because I got some new oxen, and I want to go see how they are. He said, I just have other things I want to do. I just got a new boat, and I want to go try it out. I just got a new pair of golf clubs, and I just want to go try it out. Uh, I just got a new motorcycle, and I want to take my wife on a ride. I just want to do this. I just want to do that. I just want to do this instead. It's a beautiful day outside. I just want to sit on my back porch and drink coffee. But here's the excuse. I have other things I want to do. So the one guy said, I'm just too busy doing things I have to do. The second guy said, it's not that I have to do it. I just want to do it. Third guy said, well, you go back and tell your master that uh, I'm married now. And that's all he says. <laughs> you, you can read between the lines there. I'm married now. What's the point? He's saying, I want to spend time with my family rather than going to the table, rather than going to the dinner, rather than going to the house of God. I'm going to prioritize my family. I'm going to put time with my wife above time with God and God's so busy saying listen if you will bring your wife if you will bring your kids to the table with you I'll bring you all closer to ever closer together than you could have ever been out there by yourself you may have heard it said but but uh, that a marriage is a right triangle with God at the top and the husband and wife in the two corners at the bottom. And the closer they get to God, invariably, the closer they get to each other. So, I don't know, maybe you're watching online today. And I don't want to bring condemnation, but I do want to challenge you. Have you been making excuses as to why you're not here? Maybe your excuse is something else, but, but this is what Jesus is saying. Hey, there's a lot of reasons to keep you out of the house of God. Get back in the habit. Get back in the habit. Can I get an amen that like, like, like you still love me and everything? Okay. Now, here's the deal. In my story, I grew up at the table. Man, I was so blessed. I grew up in a strong, uh, healthy environment. All of my friends loved Jesus. All of my friends were active in our youth ministry. Uh, we had a dynamic youth ministry, and uh, we all served in the church, myself and uh, along with, with Pastor Ryan, our, our campus pastor here, we, we got started serving in the uh, audio and sound at 15 years old. And that's actually where we became friends. And we, and we were serving, we had a national te television show. And by the time we were 18, we were producing a national television show for Triumph. And then we just, we just got all involved and just serving all the time. All of my friends were serving. Everybody I knew came to church, loved God. This was an incredible thing. I will tell you, People ask me all the time, Brandon, how did you make it and, and not get off track? And, and there's a couple of reasons, and one of the main reasons is I was rooted and grounded in a great local church, and, and I stayed so involved there that the pull to the church was stronger than my pull to the pull to my friends at school. Does that make sense? 
And, and the, the table that I sat at every day of my life, every week, every Wednesday, every Sunday, uh, every time the doors were open, every youth camp, every youth conference, every youth retreat, every anything we could come to get an excuse to be at, I was always there. And it kept me and it became boundaries in my life that I couldn't go too far to the left or to the right. Now, it was still on me to make good decisions. You see, getting connected to a local church is not a guarantee that your kids will live for God. It is just saying, I'm going to give them the best chance they have to stay on the, the, the straight and narrow, if you will. And I was so blessed. And I, I grew up this way. And, and, and all of my friends, all of my, uh, everyone that I knew, everyone that I loved was sitting at the table. It kept me from making negative, life-altering choices. And I, and I wouldn't change a thing about the way I grew up. But as I read this story, and as I got a little older in life, I looked around the table, and my table was full of people who could reward me. The people who knew Jesus and loved Jesus and were living for Jesus and were serving Jesus. And it was totally full. And suddenly you start reading this story, and it, it begins to bring question marks into your mind. Pastor Ed Young Jr., who pastors a fabulous church uh, in North Dallas, he tells a story one time about he, how he took his wife to Canton. Has any of you ladies ever been to Canton? Okay, it's like the world's largest flea market. It's, it's in North Texas, uh, Northeast Texas. I can't understand why anyone wanted want to go there, but people come by the thousands, by the droves. My mom goes all the time, and she gets one of them little motorized shopping carts, and she's just driving all around. You know she's running into everything, just bam, oh, I'm so sorry. And, and so uh, Pastor Ed Young Jr., he, he talked about bringing his wife there one day. And he said, man, we, we went, and it was like 120 degrees. It was the middle of the summer. He said, I don't know what we were doing there, but he said, we're going around, and we're looking at the knickknacks and this kind of stuff. And I got hungry. So we went over, and there was kind of a little restaurant as, as one of the, in the middle of the shopping area there. And you bought yourself some chicken, and then you could sit on these tables in the shade, and you can eat. And then people were just passing by in droves out in the hot sun. And so he said, as we're sitting there, my wife and I, eating the chicken that we just bought from the restaurant. So, so imagine, he's sitting at a table. He bought the chicken right here. And all where you are, there's just thousands of people in the hot sun that, sun that are hungry and need food. Well, this young girl... 18, 19 years old, comes walking by with a tray of samples. And they, she comes to their table and starts asking everyone at his table and everyone at all these tables if they would like samples. And he's like, ma'am, you're offering me a sample of what I'm currently eating. I'm eating the chicken I bought from your restaurant I'm sitting here in the shade eating it, and you're trying to get me to eat a sample. And this confused this young girl. She couldn't understand why he wouldn't take a sample. And he's like, I don't need a sample. I'm already eating the meal. You already have my money. You already have, I'm already, this is, it's a done deal. I'm sitting down eating, and you're trying to give me samples. She never could get the samples given away because everybody she was trying to serve them to was already full eating the chicken they had already bought from the restaurant. And yet, 15 steps out into the heat, there were thousands of people that were hurting and hungry and hot and needed food, and all she had to do was take that sample. Just say, hey, 
She would have filled up the restaurant if she would have just walked right out there. Don't you know that the owner of that place, the manager of that place, didn't want her serving samples to the people already eating at the table? He wanted her serving samples to potential customers. What I realized in my life was that every table was, every seat at the table was full of people who didn't need a sample because they were already eating. And I have the bread of life, and I wasn't taking 15 steps out into the community, out into the heat, out into the hot sun to offer to people who were hungry and thirsty the bread of life. Can I give you a sample? Maybe if I can give you a sample and you like it, I can get you to come in. Problem was, there was no need to invite anyone else in because my table was already full. I'm sitting at my safe table with people that I know, people that I loved, and there was no room for people that needed chicken. There was no room for people that needed the bread of life. There was no room for the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. There was no room for the lost at my table. So why would I go out there and invite you in? Because everything was full. It's often been said that a healthy church is a church of mature Christians. And can I just tell you that's just not the case? Here's what a healthy church has. It has about one-third mature Christians. If you're in here and you consider yourself a mature Christian, I want to say I am glad that you are here. We need you here. We cannot be healthy without mature believers. Second third, though, is we need growing Christians, maybe baby Christians, maybe someone who just gave their life to Jesus, right? Who's just getting started in the process, who is early on in the process. You're still learning things about God and how He interacts in your life. Maybe you're still working through the process of sanctification as He's working in your life. Hey, we need you here. We are glad that you are here. But, but one-third? It's got to be unsaved people who need Jesus. How can we be a healthy church if no one at the table actually needs Jesus? We're serving the bread of life, and there's no one here that actually needs to eat it because we've all been eating it for, for our whole lives. We, we, we somehow have to figure out how to reach out into the heat and bring in some people that need the bread of life. As I began my ministry as a youth pastor, college and career pastor, and, uh, and then campus pastor, and, and so on, uh, you know, God's really uh, blessed Lindsay and I with so many opportunities, and we've done our best to follow His will and capitalize on every opportunity He's given us. And I, even as a youth pastor, I could preach to the lost. I, I would speak to the lost. I would give salvation calls. I, I think in youth ministry, you got to give a salvation altar call every Wednesday night just to keep your kids between the ditches from Wednesday to Wednesday. And I could give a salvation call, and man, God did some amazing things. And there were seeds of what God was trying to do in my heart, and I just didn't recognize them at the time. I remember one Wednesday night, I was preaching along. I was in the Needleton Youth Building. I was preaching along, and we didn't have a, it's not a big building. Uh, we had 80 or 100 kids or so there, and I'm preaching along. And this guy walks in the back door, in the double doors, and he just stands on the inside with his arms folded like this and a mean look on his face. He's got long hair, a trench coat, and he's got a satchel over his shoulder like this, and he's just staring at me. And I'm trying to preach without making eye contact to this guy. I mean, so in my mind, I'm going, what is this guy doing? Is he here to, like, is he here to kill me? What is, what's going on right here? 
And so I preach, and we give an altar call. I pray. Well, I'm really nervous to talk with this guy because he is a scary-looking fella, and I'm really nervous to talk with him. And so what do I do? I decide I'm going to linger in the altar and pray for every kid that could possibly need prayer. Finally, the kids are like, Pastor Randy, can we just go play games now? Like, you, you've prayed for me like seven times. I go, oh, okay. So the next thing I do is I start fiddling with sound equipment, unplugging a speaker, plugging it back in, coming over this window, oh, yeah, just acting like I'm not doing anything. Finally, it's only me and him. He has not moved, stone-faced the whole time. There's nothing else I can do. I can't do anything else in this room. I can't get out because the only exit is right where he's standing. So now it's like, okay, I'm going to try to walk by this guy and, and, and just kind of do the high and keep walking deal. You know, if y'all ever had to do that, hey, and keep walking. And as soon as I walk by him, he says, can I talk with you? And I'm like, oh, God, Jesus, help me. Holy Spirit, whoever's on duty right now, I need you like right now. I'm like, yeah, man, sure. He starts telling me a story about how he was passing by. He said, I have no idea about any of this stuff, but something in me said to come in here. He said, I don't fully understand everything you were talking about, but I want what you have. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty amazing. And then he said, I have something for you. And he flips open his bag. And I'm like, it's a gun. <laughs> and he opens his bag. This is a true story. And he pulls out a crack pipe. He says, my entire family is strung out on drugs. I've been strung out on drugs since I was a kid. He said, I have no idea why, but I feel like I need to give this to you. I don't even know what to do with it. I don't even know. He didn't even know to ask for prayer. He just said, I feel like I need to give this to you. Sat right there, prayed with the guy, led him to Jesus. <laughs> Wasn't much later that The Passion of the Christ came out. And uh, boy, that's a tough movie to watch. Even today, you know it's coming and you still look away. I had this idea that I wanted to bring as many teenagers to watch the, the movie as I could. Pastor Brandon will remember he was with me uh, during all this. And on a Wednesday night, on a whim, I stood up before our Nederland campus and I said, I want to give away as many tickets as I can to bring students from all over this region to watch The Passion of the Christ. And what I'd really like to do is buy out the entire theater and just give tickets away. And, and those people... Some of you may have been there, started standing up and just started bringing cash right to the altar and just bringing it. And, and I, we took up so much money. Not only did we fill up one theater, or buy one theater full of tickets, but we bought two theaters full of tickets. This was a problem because as I understood it from the manager, he said, Randon, I can't sell you two theaters worth because we only have one film, meaning they can only show it on one theater at a time. But he called me back the next day, and I said, sir, i got to buy some more tickets. And he, he called me back the next day. And I don't know if this is what he did or not, but I know this is what he told me. He said, what I'm going to do is, there's two theaters right next to each other, and, and up in the little the room where it shoots out of, you know, you've been to the movies, and where it shoots out of, he said, there's a door separating the two rooms. He said, I'm just going to run it from one room, then feed it over into the next projector, and I'm going to run two off of the same film at the same time. I don't know if that's what he did. All I know is this. Students started coming from everywhere. The place was packed out. We filled up the first theater. Buses were pulling up. I don't even know where they were coming from. Buses were pulling up, and teenagers were just pouring off. And then we filled up. We gave away every ticket we had. There were still more kids coming in. So students would go in, check in, and then they would go back out. You know, the exit door that you can't come back in. They would give their ticket stub 
to a friend who would then come back in and say, oh, I was out going to the restroom. They were, the place was completely packed. Every chair was full. Kids sitting on the stairs all up and down watching this video, this movie. And at the end of the movie, I stood up in one, Pastor Damon's cape, and stood up the other, gave a salvation call, and hundreds of students gave their life to Jesus. It was one of the most incredible things that I've ever had the opportunity to be a part of, and, but I didn't fully understand what God was doing to me because still everything in my life Every seat at my table was for saved people. It was for people who already had the bread of life. And I didn't understand what I was doing wrong. I know I loved people, and I knew I was supposed to be in ministry, and I could give a salvation call, but nothing in my life was really geared around uh, inviting people to the table who didn't know Jesus. If you brought them, I would preach to them, but I didn't know how to bring them myself. And one of the reasons why, I didn't even know any people that weren't already eating the bread of life. Everybody I knew was already sitting at the table. Two more stories, and I'm going to close here in just a minute. Um, started coaching my daughter in softball, and, and some of you have heard me tell this story in, in growth track. But this is the single most impactful story that, that changed my life and my ministry. Coaching my daughter, it's first time coaching. I don't really know what I'm doing. We had like one practice before the first game, and a dad just says, hey, I'll help. He comes out of the stands. I, I didn't hardly even know his name at the time. First game, we're in the dugout. Umpire's calling everybody on the field. And this guy stops me and he says, hey, you're a pastor, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, I don't even know how you knew that. We've hardly even met, but okay. I thought he was going to ask me a question about softball or something like that. No, he says, you're a pastor, aren't you? Said, yeah. So he starts telling me a story. Got pregnant at a very early age, got married. Ended up in a divorce. Marine, three tours overseas, Iraq and Afghanistan. In the process of all that, divorced from his first wife, married another girl, had a son who then left him, took his son to Seattle, divorced again. Now he's back, and his daughter's six now, is, is with his, his first child, with his first wife. And he said, uh, you know, we're just trying to rebuild we're, we're living together now and, and we're trying to rebuild our life and start over and he just said you know I really wasn't raised in church I don't know much about God or Jesus or the Bible or anything else he said I'm just wondering if we were married then got a divorce but now we're living together again what does the Bible say about that this is the craziest thing but it was like the world stopped for just a moment while they're calling kids on the field and I, I thought he was going to ask about something to do with kids six-year-old girls playing softball and no you want to know about his life. So I stopped for just a moment, shared with him a little bit about the Word of God, and I invited him to come to church. Next Sunday, he came. We were in the, the uh, kids' sanctuary, youth sanctuary down there it's where we, before we built this building. And he was sitting just over uh, to my right over here. And Well, I got about 15 minutes into my sermon. And I'm just going to tell you I was preaching good. It was good. I don't know what I was preaching on, but I'm just sure it was good. And right in the middle of my sermon, I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, Randon, stop and give a salvation call. And, I, and so while I'm preaching, I'm also having a conversation with God, and I'm saying, Lord, I can't give a salvation call right now. These people need to hear what I have to say. He says, give a salvation call. I said, but Lord, I can't because if I do, it's not altar call time. It's going to confuse everybody. What are we going to do with the end of service? How dare we get out of service 15 minutes early? What's going on with me and God? 
And we're arguing back and forth. And finally, I hear God get really straight with me and said, Randon, give a salvation altar call right now. Close my Bible. Said to this great church, you're going to have to give me just a minute, but I need to follow the Holy Spirit. And I did my best to give a salvation altar call. I have no idea what I was talking about. I don't remember what I said. And it didn't matter because the Holy Spirit was in the room. And right about that time, my friend and his ex-wife, his ex-wife in one hand and his six-year-old daughter in the other hand, and they stood up in Wrangler jeans and cowboy boots and not knowing much about God, and they came walking down that aisle. And I stepped off the stage, and I led them, whole family, to Jesus as their tears are streaming down their face. I'm crying, they're crying, everyone's crying. I went home that day, and the Holy Spirit really began working on me. Because I always knew I was supposed to be in ministry, and I was supposed to do, I was supposed, uh, well, I, other than the times when I was not wanting to. When I got into ministry, I knew this, I was supposed to be a pastor and love people. But at that moment, it went beyond standing on a stage and preaching a message or making sure we have a great service. But it went more than that. It went deeper than that. And God got a hold of my heart. He said, Randon, there are people all in this community who are in desperate need of a touch from God, in desperate need of salvation. said it's your job to reach them but your table is full of saved people that might be the first time in my life that I had really ever invited someone to church and then had them turn their life around and give their heart to Jesus and have a conversion and it changed me forever I began to reevaluate everything that we were doing as a church everything that I was doing as a pastor as a leader as a preacher I began to reevaluate everything, change things, and said, God, I want to reach more people for you because that's what it's all about. Jesus said, fine, if my friends don't want to come, if the people that, that have already understand what we're doing here, if they don't want to come, you go out and get the people that need me the most. You go out and get the people that are hungry and need some samples. Randy, you go out and you bring them in. It transformed my life. So everything we do, Everything that we do at Triumph now comes back to this place. I want people that don't know Jesus to be welcomed and safe and feel comfortable and have an opportunity to know Jesus maybe for the very first time. I got to reading 1 Corinthians 14, and I, and I won't go deep into it, but suddenly Paul starts saying, hey, you're doing all this stuff, and unsaved people are coming in, and they think you're crazy, and they're leaving out. I said, God, I don't want that. And then he started saying, but I tell you what, if you'll do it di a little differently, if you'll change some things up, here's what Paul said. When they come in, he said, here's what the Holy Spirit will do. If you'll let him do it and, and you'll quit running them all off, here's what will happen. He said, they'll come in, their deepest desires, their deepest secrets, the Holy Spirit will expose them, he'll convict them of sin, and they will walk out of the place saying, wow, God was here. Let me ask you a question, the, un, the person in your life that you know and you love that needs Jesus and, and needs to know God, if they came in today and they left on Sunday, what would you love more than anything for them to say then, wow, 
I don't know how that preacher knew all that about me. I don't know what all was going on there, but God was there. But is there room at the table? Have you invited anyone to the table? Is any, are you making room at your table? Have you saved a seat for someone that needs Jesus? I want, I, want, I want as many people as I can to have a God is here moment, but we've got to get them here. When you came in, there was a sticker sitting on the seat next to you. You may have sat on it. Um, look around for it. It says, who are you saving a seat for? Or it says, this seat is reserved for. Here's what I want you to do before you leave today. I want, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. And, and to tell you one or two or three or maybe five people, whoever it is, that God is really wanting you to make room at the table for and invite to this table. Easter's coming in two weeks. It's the easiest opportunity that there is to invite someone to church. Statistics tell us that 80% of people in America want to go to church on Easter Sunday. They're just waiting for someone to ask. They're just waiting on you and I to ask. And so what is it? we're going to do this sticker? When you're done... You don't have to put their name and details of their life, their social security number. Don't put that. Just put their first name and stick it on the seat next to you. Stick it on the seat in front of you. And our staff is going to come and we're going to pray over these names. We're going to pray over you. We're going to keep praying for the next two weeks. And I believe that God is going to speak to you and speak to them. I'm closing now. Last story. Driving down the road three weeks ago on the way here with my son. My wife and, and daughter were in Sugarland dedicating my nephew. I was driving down the road with Randy, and I said, Randy, we're headed to church this morning, bud. You want to pray for the service with me today? He's nine years old. He said, yes, sir, I do. I said, okay, bud, what do you want to pray about? Before I tell you this story, there's something in, in, in parenting called modeling where kids don't just repeat what they say, but they model who you actually are, they model your behavior, and they do what you do even if you don't tell them to. It's very important to understand. It isn't just about what we're saying, it's about what we're doing because that's what they're modeling. So I'm driving down the road, and uh, I said, Randy, what, what do you want to pray about today? He said, Dad, I just want to pray that people are saved today. And everything in the room just stopped and the car just stopped for a moment it seemed like and the Holy Spirit said to me Brandon what you've been talking about isn't just words anymore but it's who you are and it's being transferred to your kids and the people around you and the heart of this church and I admit it just broke me and so Randy and I got to talking a little bit more about what that meant and he went a little further and he said something else powerful and I was reminded of it as I was reading this story of Jesus today and he, he looked at me and with all the seriousness on his face. I don't know how he knows this. I don't know. But he just looked at me and he said, Dad, people just need to be healed. I thought about that story of Jesus sitting at the table when the sick man came. And Jesus just reached over and said, this isn't hard. Be healed. He sent him on his way. I don't know where you are today, but if you're in the room and you need healing in your life, it could be healing in your physical body. The power of God is here and He wants to heal you. 
It could be healing in your relationships, healing in your emotions, healing in your mind. It could be healing in your spirit. You could have been hurt by a church, hurt by this church, hurt by another pastor, hurt by me. I don't even know, but somehow you're hurt and you're wounded and you need to be healed. God wants to heal you. And I want to pray for you today. If you'd close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. Father, I thank you for showing up today. I feel you here even now. Lord, for wherever we are, whatever's going on in our life, either in this room or at home, and we need healing, God, you're the healer, and you're here to heal. So touch us right now. Touch our minds, touch our bodies, touch our heart, touch our soul, touch our relationships, touch our marriage, Lord God, whatever it is, heal us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.